Can you make some noise if you are excited for the word today, y'all? I am excited for the word. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, me and my wife, Leslie, are so grateful to be a part of this church. Uh, so grateful to be a part of this family. You know, our hope that, uh, is that anytime that you show up here on a Sunday morning, um, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. Anyone else want to fall more in love with Jesus? Our hope is that as you come here, you'd fall in love with Jesus. And, and my hope is also that you'd fall in love with this place the way that so many of us have. Um, this place has changed my life forever, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this. And um, my prayer is that as you show up here, you fall more in love with Jesus, and that eventually you would call this place home. Uh, we're uh, a Bible church here. We are passionate, if you can't tell, about the person of Jesus. And uh, throughout this summer, we are journeying through the book of James together. We're doing a Bible study, a book study together as a church. And, and so if you have your Bible, you can get it out. We're going to be in James chapter 2 today. And now James, if you're just jumping in, James is in the New Testament. It's near the end of the New Testament, and it's written by the half-brother of Jesus named James. And um, James, he's writing to the early church. He's writing to early Christian Jews that found themselves um, cast out, found themselves outside of their homeland, and they're kind of scattered, dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And so James, he writes this letter, and um, this letter actually can more so be read and interpreted as a lecture. You ever like read a letter before and you're like, oh, this is more like a lecture, bro. Like that's kind of what James is doing here in this moment. And so James, he writes this letter and he uses very direct, very pointed, very simple, very clear, but very powerful statements to, to come at the hearts of these early Christian Jews that he's writing to. And he uses beautiful metaphors and illustrations and imagery to kind of make this letter come to life and to penetrate our hearts and to bring conviction and challenge. And uh, so this letter, when I read it, it seems a lot more like a lecture. Uh, it kind of brings me back to college days. Anyone else remember college? You remember college? It was amazing season, right? Remember being in those auditoriums in college, whether you went to college or not, I'm sure you've seen a picture, an image, or a video of this before, a massive auditorium full of like 200 students and what students are spread all throughout and, and you look down the auditorium and there's a professor down there and what is the professor doing? He's teaching, he's illustrating, he's trying to make um, his teaching come to life and so a lot of times they'll have a big old chalkboard. If you went to college a while ago, they had a big old chalkboard People, they would draw on it and make their teaching come to life. Y'all remember the overhead projector? Y'all remember those? Did you go to college with an overhead projector? I went in 2014, and I promise one professor was still using an overhead projector. And um, remember, it was like, had that light and those little, little sheets of plastic, and they would draw on it, and then they would be like, ah, and they would smear it everywhere, and then they'd throw the plastic, and they'd get another one, and they'd try it again, and, uh, and then eventually we evolved, and we have projectors, and I bet there's professors today with big old LED screens behind them, and I went to um, UNC Wilmington, and uh, uh, we were the Seahawks. Uh, you have no idea. You've never heard of them, I'm sure. And, um, but when I went to UNC Wilmington, I studied communication studies. And um, I was in this class this one day, and I was in COM 105. Now, COM 105 was the class that you had to pass in order to get welcomed into the communication department. And the professor, his name was Dr. Weber. Now, Dr. Weber was very funny, and he was also very passionate. He was a very demonstrative guy. He was a great professor. But in this class, 
he wanted to really seem like he was hard, you know, like he was hard on every single student in that class. Like this was the class where it was like, I don't really know if you like me. Like I think that you hate me. Like Dr. Weber, like do you like any of us? Because I feel like this isn't really working out. And uh, why? Because he wanted to be sure that anyone that passed his class and got welcomed into the department like wasn't a hooligan. Like he was like, no hooligans allowed. I only want the best to be in this department. And uh, so I'm in Com 105, and one day I find myself in class, and I used to sit kind of near the back, but not all the way in the back. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you sit in the back row in class, you know the professor's like, they don't really care. They don't really care. So I would sit like four rows from the back, and this was a massive auditorium. There was like 150, 200 students in his class, and we were spread all around the class. And, and this one particular day, I was really tired. And so I'm in class, and I'm sitting next to my friends, and it was one of those moments, you know where you just kind of slide back in your seat? You slide back until your neck hits the top of the seat and you kind of do this. And your neck goes backwards a little bit. Y'all have done that? Some of y'all, I've seen you do it in church. It's okay. And, but your, your head comes back like this and you just kind of sits back like that. And I did one of those numbers. And all of a sudden, my head's back like this and I fall asleep, y'all. Like I am out. Like head back, mouth open, drool drizzling down my face. Like I was out in Dr. Weber's class. And, and so I don't know how long I was out for, but I was out for a hot minute until all of a sudden I kind of like start hearing some talking right next to me. And I feel this nudge in my side from this per my friend that was on the left right here. And I kind of like sit up like this and I look up and in the middle is as, as I'm looking up, my friend Morgan, who is sitting next to me, is having a full-blown conversation with Dr. Weber in the class. Okay, for the first time ever, she decides she's going to ask a question in class while I'm asleep next to her and engage and bring all the attention to right here where I am. And so I sit up, she's talking, Dr. Weber is looking straight at me. I sit up and I'm like, oh no. He caught me sleeping while he was teaching. And if that's not even, like, that's not even the worst part because later on that day, y'all, so I wake up and later on that day, I'm going across campus, I'm going to a different class and I'm walking up to this building to go to class and as I walk up the stairs to this building, there's these big doors and I go to open up the door and because I'm a gentleman, I was going to hold the door for the person behind me. And as I open up the door, I look behind me and Dr. Weber is walking up the stairs, following me into this building. And so I kind of see him and I was like, hey, Dr. Weber. And he was like, hello. And he walks in, and it was one of those awkward moments where you, there's only two people in the hallway, and it's you and the person next to you, and you don't want to be next to that person, but you're walking down the hallway, and you're like, where's he going? Where's he going? Can you please stop? Can you turn that way? Like, what's happening? And so we're walking down the hallway, me and Dr. Weber, as if we're, you know, homies, and we're walking, and all of a sudden, he turns to me, and he says, hey, I saw you were sleeping in my class today. I was like, Ugh. and he was like, how about you stay awake, or you pick another major? And he just walks off. See, he was upset that I was sleeping while he was teaching. I was not paying attention as he was trying to teach us something to inform his class. And he knew that he didn't want someone like me to be a part of his department and shame the name of the communication department. He didn't want me to be welcomed into this tight-knit community if I wasn't going to obey the rules. And see, James, when he's writing this letter to the scattered church that is scattered throughout the Roman Empire, he's saying, hey, I've noticed that you've been sleeping. I noticed that you have not been living in the teachings of Jesus. I've noticed 
notice that you have not been paying attention to what God has asked you to do. You have not been living the way that you've been instructed to live. Will you wake up? Will you pay attention? Look here. Read these words. And so James, he writes this letter, and he's trying to get everyone's attention. And he's saying, hey, listen up. If we are going to claim to hold high the name of Jesus, we got to be people that actually live out our faith with authenticity. And so when you read this book of James, you'll quickly realize that he ain't playing games, that he wants us to pay attention to be people of the word. And so James chapter 2, part 2 is where we're at today. Verse 14 is where we're going to be picking up. If you have your Bible, James 2, 14, this is what it says. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Listen, I want to be very clear at the top of this message. I want to kind of put a disclaimer at the top of this message because I want to be clear about who we are as a church and what we profess to believe. Because you see, this passage in James has been the center of so much debate, so much frustration, so much tension for so many years. For centuries, theologians have debated and argued over this passage of Scripture so much so that some people have wanted to completely rip James out of the Bible altogether because of these words where written right here. And so when you read this passage, it's always very important to be clear about what you believe, what kind of doctrine we hold to as a church. And so I just want to say this at the top, that we are a a Protestant Reformation-based church, that we are a church that has a doctrine that's centered on this reality, that we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. We as a church, we believe that we receive the gift of salvation when we put our faith in Jesus, believing that he really died for us on the cross to pay for our sins, and really believe that he rose from the grave on our behalf. Salvation is a gift that we receive. There's nothing that we can do to earn it or to work for it on any human merit. Salvation is a gift from God. And check this out. Salvation is is something that God gets the glory for And we receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus. And so this is what we believe. I want to put that at the top, that everything that we talk about today, I want you just to know that is filtered through that belief, that we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. And in James chapter 2, 
He begins to talk about how works are very important. He's saying, hey, do not sleep on works. He's writing to, this, to these people, and he's making it clear, hey, listen, I understand that faith is very important, that faith is very important, but you need to know that faith and works actually go hand in hand. They work together. And if we're going to claim to have faith, we got to be people that, whose genuine faith is evidenced by the way that we live. We've got to be, if we want to be followers of the person of Jesus, we've got to wake up and carry out our faith through the way that we live. See, faith without works doesn't work. Let me say that again. Faith without works doesn't work. And what I'm not saying is that we are saved by faith plus works. What I'm saying is that we are saved by a faith that works. James, he says, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Title for our message this morning, very simple. If you're taking notes, there's little note cards on every chair. You can take some notes. Write this at the top. A faith that works. A faith that works. Do you know what doesn't work? A bike without pedals. A bike without pedals does not work. Uh, one day I was really excited because this amazing family in our church that we love um, told me that they were going to give us a, a bike for my son Hudson, who's two and a half, to learn to ride. And I was super excited because I was like, oh, great, I get to teach him how to ride his bike. Like, this is so awesome. And so um, one day after church on a Sunday, uh, they put this bike in my wife Leslie's car, and she drives it home. And so I'm excited the whole way home. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, today I'm going to teach Hudson how to ride a bike. Like, it's going to be so great. He's going to have training wheels. We're going to ride down the road. It's going to be epic. And so I get home, and I get out of my car, and I go into the garage, and I see that Leslie's put the bike on the floor. And I look down there, and there's this little bike. It's green and black. And I was really excited. I was like, yes, that's so cool, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, and I'm seeing this bike, and all of a sudden I notice that it's missing pedals. This bike does not have pedals. In fact, like, it doesn't even have the cranks. It doesn't have the sprocket thing. Like, it doesn't have any of that. It's just missing that there's a hole there where pedals should go. And so I'm very confused, and I walk inside, and I was like, hey, Les, like, did you, did you notice this bike doesn't have pedals? Like, did you take the pedals off here? And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, Les, like, this bike doesn't have pedals. Like, it's not going to work. She's like, I don't know what to tell you. And so I'm so confused. And so a couple of days, the bike's just sits there in our garage, and a couple of days later, um, I'm talking to my uh, older brother on the phone, and my brother, he loves bikes. He's into BMX. He's always, he builds bikes, put them back together, all sorts of stuff, jumps them, crazy things. And I was talking to him, and I was like, hey, like, so I was really excited. Hudson was going to learn to ride a bike, but, and he was given this bike, super cool, but the problem is it doesn't have pedals, so, like, it's not going to work. And he was like, Joe, that's amazing. That's actually perfect. That's a training bike. That's, this is what you do with this bike. It's not, it's not supposed to work like a bike. It's supposed to be something that he learns to balance on and he kind of walks with and it doesn't need pedals. One way he'll work his way up to pedals. And, and so I'm sitting there thinking, I am an idiot. Like I've been frustrated this whole time. Like who gives someone a bike without pedals? Like what in the world? They're trying to communicate something? And when all along he actually, he, he, it's what it was supposed to be. You see, the reality is, is that faith without works just does not work. It's like a bike without pedals, which will not work unless you are a two-year-old. But a bike without pedals will not work. And what James is saying in this passage is that faith without works does not work. And if your faith is not evidenced by works, it is a dead faith. See, one of the problems when people typically will read this passage of Scripture in James is they, they assume wrongfully that James is diminishing faith, 
that he's like knocking faith. Like he's trying to put faith down here and put works up here. And the reality though is that faith is that James is not doing that. He's not trying to diminish faith in this story. He's trying to make it very clear that faith and works are like two pedals on a bike that work together. Listen, have you ever tried to pedal on a bike with just one pedal? Have you ever tried to ride a bike with just one pedal? It doesn't work, right? Like we've got this, um, this knockoff Peloton bike thing at our house because we can't afford the Peloton. And, but we got, we got this knockoff version. And so sometimes I'm like riding this bike. And there's been a few times because I have ADD where I'll just kind of like look around and I'll like drop something on the floor and my phone's over here. I'll need to grab a water bottle on the ground or something. And there's been a few times where I've taken one foot out of the bike while I'm riding and tried to grab something. See, the problem is, is that every time I do that, my shin gets smashed, my foot gets smashed, I fall off the bike, or I feel like I'm like hyperextending this leg as you're trying to ride the bike, you know? And, and it just does not work. See, a bike requires pedals, and both pedals need to work together. And what he's saying is that faith and works are like two pedals on a bike working together, each one moving one after another, side by side, in step, in rhythm, to move you where you're trying to go. And there's that one point where you don't even realize or distinguish a difference between the two pedals. You're just pedaling. And that's what faith and work should look like for a Christian. James is saying that is that if our faith is detached from our deeds, it is useless. In fact, he uses the word dead. You know what the, the literal Greek meaning of this word dead is? Like I looked it up. It's really complicated. Check this out. This is what the word dead really means in this passage. Dead. Literally means dead. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. Like lifeless, void of breath, like a corpse, cold, dead. That's what James is saying when you try to detach the two from each other. And so let's talk about faith for just a moment. I want to give a little clarity on this idea of faith. So faith is foundational to the life of every believer, okay? Faith, remember we're saying by grace and through faith. And uh, Ephesians 2, it talks about this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, verse 8. And this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. Hebrews 1 gives us this cool definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Faith is foundational for the life of a Christian. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about how we're called to walk by faith. We also see in Hebrews eleven six 6, it says that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. See, faith is very important. Faith holds power. There is power in our faith. And the problem is, is that so many people oftentimes think of faith and they think that faith is just some ethereal, far off, nebulous idea. Something that we got to just create and work up and muster up on our own. And then we're going to have this great faith and it's going to do these great things. But the reality is that faith isn't really like that. See, I love this definition of faith. It says that faith is confidence that God's word is true and conviction that acting on that word will bring his blessing. There is action built into the DNA of faith. See, we are called to be people of faith. And contrary to the popular belief, though, we aren't called to be people that merely have blind faith. Like, I think... One of the problems is that so many people, they think of faith and they just think, cool, well, faith just has to be something that doesn't make sense. And if you have faith, then you're just blind to the realities of what's happening around you. But I love how Peter, he says this in 2 Peter 1.16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power 
and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's saying is that our faith is not mythical. Our faith is not myths about this idea of this world and the next world. No, our faith, it finds its framework in the resurrection of Jesus. He's saying there was over 500 people, eyewitnesses that saw the risen Jesus. This is not some blind faith. They literally saw him. Over 500 people. Did you know that could have been? subpoenaed and put on the stand and questioned and every single one of these people would have said the same thing that they literally saw Jesus die and literally saw Jesus resurrected over 500 eyewitnesses that's going to hold up in court our faith is not a blind faith you see one of the reasons why I think so many millennials and are today have given up on living out their faith is because they were sold a version of Christianity that said hey you know what you just got to believe even if you don't think it makes sense, you just got to believe. But that's not the case. That's not the reality. Did you know that much of modern day science and medicine was actually built by Bible-believing Christians? Did you know that it was the Christians, the early Christians who built universities and hospitals and they believed the Bible? Did you know that it's the worldview of Christianity that is responsible for much of modern science? It's not a blind faith that we have. It's a faith that actually makes sense. And what we've got to understand in this passage is that James is not diminishing faith. He's merely showing the weight of it. He's showing us the weight. He's addressing authenticity of faith as the primary focus, not the power of faith. And so James's argument is not pro-works, anti-faith, or pro-faith, anti-works. No, he's simply saying that genuine faith is always going to be accompanied by good works. Spiritual works are the evidence, not the energizer of sincere faith. See, faith and works are like two pedals on a bike, both moving to lead you closer to Jesus. See, Jesus was very clear when he talks about faith. Faith has incredible power. He says faith can move mountains. He even says in John 6, 29, that's the work of ministry is to believe See, could it be that much of our disobedience in the church is actually a failure to first believe? Broken behaviors are born from broken beliefs. And if we're going to be a church that is authentic in the way that we live in our actions, we've never got to get to a point where we separate faith and works. We have to believe. We have to believe because that belief is going to fuel the way that we live. It's going to give us a great framework to carry out our lives. See, faith and works work together. And if you're going to have a faith to work, you have to have faith and works. And so James, he's calling us out in this passage. And he's saying, hey, your faith is pretty sus. Your faith is pretty sus. Let's talk about it. He calls it dead. If it is void of action, your faith is dead. Verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's no evidence of action. It's a dead faith. He's saying that workless faith is worthless faith. It's unproductive. It's lazy. It's sterile. It's barren. It's dead. Anyone ever been to Bass Pro Shop before? Been to Bass Pro? Now, I know I don't look like a person that goes to Bass Pro Shop, okay? But um, I love Bass Pro. Like, I love it. For me, it's a whole experience. And now I've been there several times, not a lot, but several times, and I've never actually bought anything there. I just go for the experience. And um, 
A few weeks ago, my family, we were down in Louisiana visiting some of Leslie's family, and uh, I had the kids one day. It was Daddy Daycare Day, and, uh, and we were hanging out, and it was raining outside, terrible, nasty day, and so I was like, what am I going to do with the kids today? And I was like, I'm going to take them to Bass Pro. And so we go to Bass Pro Shop, and I'm walking in there holding Hudson's hand and Hadley's hand, and we're walking in, and if you've never been there, it's this grand entrance. They've got these big doors and you open them up and you walk inside and there's this incredible entryway. There's like fake or maybe real trees all over the place and there's like fake squirrels and birds and and there's this big old wooden throne that you can sit on right there when you walk in. It's like I am a king and you walk in and you look up and there's this sky that's incredible and there's like fake birds up there flying and all sorts of animals that have been taxidermied and just put all over the place and, and I don't even know if that's a word. And, and so you see all of this, it's this grand entrance, and then you walk in, and they've got one of those, like, roller coaster things, you know, those, like, spinny things that you walk through, and it's like, click, 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 click. And so you walk through that. Why? Because they want it to feel, I'm sure, like an experience. And so you walk inside, and, and, um, and you look, and there's uh, lots of coolers for sale. They're just always trying to sell people coolers and, and ice chests, and, and there's clothes, and, and then you look to the right, and there's four-wheelers, and um, those off-road ATV things, and there's boats and all sorts of stuff, and Hudson and Hadley are having a blast. They're hopping on it, pretending like they're driving, and, and, and we're walking around. There's camo and guns and tenting and camping equipment and all the different things, and, and uh, one of my goals, one of the reasons why I brought them there is because I thought that Hudson would love getting to see, like, all of the animals that they had just brought back to life and had sitting there, like statues, and I thought it would be so cool, like, him being able to pet a bear, so we're, like, walking around, I'm like, Hudson, look at this bear, touch it, and he would just kind of look at it, like, what? And there's, like, this family of hogs, and, and I was like, Hudson, look some hogs, and nope, and he loves deer, and so I was walking around, I was like, Hudson, look at all these deer, there's these bucks and these does, and he's like, Nah. And, and so we're like walking around. I'm trying to show him all this stuff, raccoons and squirrels and all these fake animals that, that look very real. And, and all of a sudden, though, um, we walk up to this swamp area. And they have this like little pond. And there's some fish swimming in the water. And there's some ducks on the little edges of it. And there's a real turtle that he could walk right up next to. And he is enthralled. He is amazed. He is just caught up in this experience. And I'm like, you didn't care about the bear, but you want to see these, like, fish swimming around? He loved it. See, the problem, though, is that he didn't care about something that was fake. He wanted to see the real thing. And he knew that these animals, they were not moving, which means they were not real. And in his mind, he's like, ah, I could care less. And what James is saying in this passage is that if your faith is void of works, it is dead. It is not moving. It is sitting there lifeless. They may look like it's real. You may say that it's real. You may be able to look at it and say it's got real fur. It's got real attributes about it. But if it does not move, if it is not active, if it is not full of works, then it is dead. And could it be that the reason why we struggle, the church struggles to reach people in our culture and to draw people in is because we just have a faith that so many of us are walking around that is dead. A faith that is void of meaning and impact and influence and substance. We've just got faith that we claim is real, that we say is real, but is not carried out by the way we live. And so what James is saying is, hey, this is not the real thing. If your faith is not carried out by the way you live, you need to have a faith that works, a faith that is moving, a faith that is living, a faith that has vital signs, has a pulse, faith that you can see being active in the way that it lives. You see, 
uh, one of the ways that you can assess the way, whether or not your faith is actually working, your faith is actually moving, is to look at what do you do with your time? What do you do with your time? Because one of the things that we are, I think selfishness is what holds so many of us back from having a faith that works. And, and I think selfishly, we are, we are so concerned about our time as people right? Like your time is an investment. For some people, time is money. And if I'm going to commit to going to see that movie, or if I'm going to commit to going to that party, if I'm going to commit to going to church, there better be an ROI on my investment. There better be a return on my investment. And so many of us, we go through life and we look at people and we're only seeing what can they give us. We look at gatherings and we say, hey, what can I get from that? We look at the different things that we're being a part of and we're only thinking about selfishly, what can this do for me? But works, a faith that works says, no, how can I use my time to care for somebody, to be a blessing to somebody else, to care for the poor, to speak life into people, to pray for someone, to be someone that actually lives my faith out by the way that I love people and meet them in their needs and meet them in their distress. And so if we want to show people Jesus, we got to show them a faith that is living, that is moving, that values people above prophets, values people above what we can get from them. So James, he continues on, he says, but someone will say in verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? He's saying that faith that is evidenced by nothing is good for nothing. It's good for nothing. See, I believe that one of the things that's holding the church back today from reaching people is actually us living out what we say to believe. And what I'm not saying today is church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Rah. Like I feel like people just say that all the time. It's just this blanketed statement. No, no, no. I think that the problem is that the church is full of so many people whose faith is just dead. It's stagnant. It's sterile. It's not living. It's got to be active. It's got to Work. See, so many of us, we just want to receive the life Jesus has to offer without ever revealing the life he's created us for. That's how the Bible talks about faith. Being a Christian involves trusting in Jesus and living for Jesus and following Jesus. You receive the life and then you reveal the life. It's this process, two pedals on a bike. In verse 14, James says, can that kind of faith save him? Can it save him? He's not talking down on faith. He says, will that kind of faith save him? So he's saying that faith that is never seen in practical works, the answer to that question is no. Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life is a false declaration is what he's saying. James isn't coming at faith. He's coming at dead faith and he's attacking dead faith straight on. And he's saying, listen, if it's evidenced by nothing, it's good for nothing. And so let's be a people who our faith is evidenced by the way we live. Matthew 721, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, for so many people, we were raised in the faith, we were brought up in church, and we never actually let that faith and made that faith our own. We never got to a point where we started to live that faith out. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I checked all the boxes. Like at one point I prayed the prayer. I, I, 
I raised my hand. I filled out the form. I, I tried to do the things that people were telling me to do, but I never actually let my faith take action. And you may feel like today that that's you. You're like, man, my faith, yeah, it does feel dead. It does feel like it's void of evidence and impact and influence. Like that's part of my story. I prayed the prayer. I was baptized when I was in middle school. And, and the problem, though, is that I just kept on living life per usual. I was like, cool, I'm good. Check that box off. And I still hung out. I still went to the same parties. I still hung out with the same friends that were pulling me away from God. I still gave into the same sin over and over again. I still did the same things. My life did not look different at all after doing that. My faith was dead. It was stagnant until I went to a summer camp and my life was forever changed. And I realized, oh my gosh, my faith, it is far from the faith that I see I need to live out in the Bible. And I made a decision that I was going to start to actually start living what I said to believe. See, if we're going to reach a post-Christian world with the message of Jesus, we have got to have a faith that works. Simply saying we believe is not going to cut it anymore. What does James say? He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Same, that kind of belief, like, cool, all right, but if you want to be compared to a demon, that's on you. He's like, you can just say that you want to believe all day, but your faith has to be evidenced by the way that you live. It has to be distinct and different than what this world has to offer and what even the demons believe. See, cultural Christianity is not going to work for us to reach the world. You know why people are, I was thinking about this, but why people are so attracted to religions like Islam today? Like, if you look at, at people of that faith, like they actually seem to live out what they believe. Like from the outside, they, they get away, they pray five times a day, they give a portion of their income to their community, they fast, they memorize their scripture. If, you have, if they have you over for dinner, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, these are the nicest people ever. It's so attractive. Why? Because it seems like they're living out what they say to believe, but yet somewhere along the line, Christians have gotten this rap for we're the people that say, hey, if you don't believe what we believe, then ah, you're wrong. We're right. We're the people that just yell at people. We're the people that just say, huh, well, if you're not like us, then bye. And, and that's a problem. Why? Because if we want to reach people, if we want to be people that make Jesus famous, that's not going to work. See, people with dead faith are people that substitute words for works. Like, is that you? Have you ever been in the place where you would rather talk about your faith than actually be about your faith? Than actually show up to that opportunity to serve, to actually show up to give out food at Solidarity, one of our partners, to actually show up to be a part of serving and building the kingdom? See, if your faith does not look different now after you've claimed to know Jesus than before you knew him, then you should question whether or not you really actually know him. C.S. Lewis, he he gives this uh, quote. He says this, that grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. You see, transformation is a truth teller. Our walk and our talk has to measure up, has to come together. See, Jesus, he makes it clear that we have an obligation to meet the needs of people to care for the poor, to care for orphans and widows, to care for the least of these. He says, as you've done to the least of these, you have also done unto me. He did not save us so that we could stay the same. No, he saved us so that he could change us and in changing us, work through us. In the Bible, we see that faith is just the beginning. It's the beginning of this journey in Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this again. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then he says this, to clarify, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know that we are created for works? We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works, which means that when we're not carrying out works, then our faith is not working. See, saved people do things even though doing things will not save people. It will not save people, but we are called to do things. We are not just spectators in this journey. We are not just spectators sitting on the sideline, cheering other people on. No, we want to be a church that's full of active participators that says, hey, I'm trying to get in the game. I'm trying to be a part of this. I'm trying to roll my sleeves up, put my boots on, and get ready to play this game, get ready to live out my faith, to join Jesus in the journey of seeing people's lives change forever, see heaven crowded, to see this world change. This is the kind of church that we want to be where we're running on the field and we're saying, I right, let's see this kingdom expand. Let's see earth, heaven come down to earth. Let's be that kind of church, Elevate City. Amen. See, sometimes we're, we get to places in our life where we're just like, I, I really don't know what's working. Well, one easy way to make an assessment or an appraisal of your life is to, to think about, hey, is my faith working? Is my faith being lived out? Am I doing good work? See, in the Bible, we see there's several different kinds of faith. There's several different kinds of work. There's the works of the law, which we see from the Old Testament. And this is a sinner's attempt to please God by obeying the law of Moses. But the problem with this is that for someone to be saved by the works of the law does not work if they are condemned by the law because all people have fallen short and have not measured up. And then we see that there are works of the flesh, which, which are works that are done by people that are not yet redeemed, people that are still living by their own flesh for their own desires, for themselves in this life, doing things of their old nature. And then we see there's wicked works, there are dead works, but then the kind of works that James talks about here are good works, which are a result of a saving faith that is lived out in action, a faith that is dynamic and obedient will lead to good works, works that are done and love. See, Paul, he writes to the Galatians, and if you've ever read through Galatians, it's a beautiful illustration of this idea that, that we're saved by this grace of Jesus. And, and uh, Galatians 5, 6, he says this. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He's like, hey, the works of the law, it, it's not going to work anymore. Only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Love. Do you know that we have a works problem? Like so many of us, we have missed out on joining in this journey of working through love. And so James, like he does here in the book of James, he gives us a few illustrations. He points out two specific examples, two specific stories in the Bible of faith that is lived out in action. Starting in verse 20, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, starts talking about Abraham, our father, Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, there's a couple of you. Okay, cool. All right. <clears throat> People that didn't grow up in church are like, what is happening? <clears throat> I don't know the song all the way, so that's why I'm not going to sing it. Okay. It says, was not our fa Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So if you grew up in church, 
you remember the story of Abraham. If you did not grow up in the church, let me give you a little backstory. See, in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. And uh, he, call, he says that you're going to be the father of many people, the father of this nation. You're going to have as many children as stars in the sky. But there's just one problem, though, is that Abraham and his wife are 100 years old at this time, and they have no kids. They were barren. They couldn't conceive. But then God steps in and miraculously gives them a son named Isaac. But then God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son to God. Abraham, in his obedience, in his faith, he takes his son up a mountain and he's obeying God and he builds this altar of wood and he straps his son on top of this altar and we see this just wild story taking place as he's, he lifts up his knife to strike his son when right then in that moment an angel stops Abraham and says, listen, it is very clear that you are obeying God so God is going to provide another way and God provides a ram to be offered up in his son's place. His son is saved. Isaac, his life, is saved. The second example of faith is about a woman named Rahab. We'll come back to Abraham. But now let's talk about Rahab. Verse 24 it says, You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in that same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So the story of Rahab is different than Abraham. Rahab was a prostitute who ran a guest house inside the wall of Jericho. She was known as a harlot, which means she was immoral. She did not live by the law of Moses. She was not a part of the people of God. But yet God uses her to house Joshua's spies in Joshua chapter 2 and help the people of God conquer Jericho and make their way towards the promised land. See, Rahab heard the word she responded to the word, and she took her emotions and used that to respond with her will. Her faith was then carried out in action. She did something. She housed these spies. She protected them so that the people of God can make their way through this city. She risked her own life to protect the Jewish people. She exercised a faith that works. See, she knew the truth her heart was stirred by the truth, and she acted on the truth and proved her faith by her works. See, Abraham and Rahab were two completely different people, though. Think about it. Abraham was a Jew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man. Rahab was a sinful woman. Abraham was a friend of God. Rahab belonged to the enemies of God. But what did they have in common? They both exercised saving faith in God and were written into the story of God. The verb translated here, where it says to be made complete is this word teleio. Teleio, which means to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end. See, faith finds fulfillment in action. Faith finds fulfillment in action. They were not saved by faith plus works. They were saved by a faith that works. And so let's talk about this important word because we've, we've read this word, this word justified or justification, okay? We're just getting just deep into Bible teaching this morning, okay? It's great. I love it. Justification, okay, is this word. Here's a just simple definition for it is that guilty sinners, which is you and me, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guilty sinners can be declared righteous before God by grace alone, through faith alone, and because of the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, 
Like we talked about at the beginning, justification is this idea of what God does where he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of Jesus' work on the cross. It's nothing that we have done. Justification is not a process. It is an act. It has happened. It's not something we do. It's something that God has done for us on our behalf for anyone that has trust in Jesus. It's a once and for all event. It never changes. It has happened. We are justified through Jesus' work on the cross. And what we have to understand about justification is this. Jesus worked for you. Jesus worked for me. Jesus paid it all for you. Jesus did not sit on the sidelines. Jesus got in the game and he gave his life for us. Romans 3, I love Paul. He talks about this very popular passage of scripture for this. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word propitiation, another Bible word for us, refers to turning away or appeasing the wrath of God by turning away by his blood to be received by faith. See, works is the barometer of justification and faith is the basis for our justification. This is important for us to understand because when we read passages like this, it can be very easy for us to just get very confused and we're like, what is happening? He says, say by works, not by faith. And ah, what's happening? No, 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 no. Here's the clarity here. The Bible interprets itself. The Bible brings clarity when we in our own minds get confused. And so that's what justification is. You know, there's not many things in this world that get me as frustrated as poor Wi-Fi. Anyone with me? Poor Wi-Fi, spotty internet, like, does it frustrate anyone else? Especially in 2020, like, when you're working from home, you're like, oh, if the internet's not working, woo, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I've always been the guy that has to buy, like, the best router and the best Wi-Fi router and modem, and I got this whole thing working at my house together, and I'm like, okay, $10 more for better internet, I will pay that $10 more because I do not want to go crazy if I'm waiting for something. Like, you ever are trying to watch something or load something, you see the little loading bubble? Like, when I see that, I lose my mind. Like, I, I, I have to repent because I get full of anger and bitterness. And during the great lockdown, though, of 2020, okay, my internet service provider, who shall not be named, decided one day that they were going to have an outage in my area. An outage. Which means I lost internet for more than 24 hours and was not a happy person. And so during this outage, I, uh, I found myself where it would look like everything was connected, right? Your Wi-Fi still says it's connected. It's connected to your devices, but yet you go to get on the internet and something like this pops up where it says, you are not connected to the internet. This page cannot be displayed because your computer is currently offline. And you're like, but it says that I'm connected. What is happening? Everything's green. Like, what's, what's the problem? Well, if the service provider isn't sending you signal, then you're out of luck. You ever try to like listen to music on Spotify and it's like Spotify offline? Like what in the world? What am I going to do? And so I get really frustrated as you can see. And every time that this happens, like if I see that, I immediately think like I'm going to run my phone over with my car. Like back and forth, back and forth, whatever it takes. Like something bad is going to happen. My computer, it's going in the garbage disposal. Like somehow it's going to fit in there. It's, it's literally the worst. And so when my service provider, who shall not be named, decided that they were going to have an outage one day, I was like, mercy, I will show you mercy. But then it happened another day. And I was like, yo, this ain't going to work. And so I dropped them like a hot potato and I switched to fiber forever. And I was like, okay, I'm good now. I'm good. 
Why? Because I cannot stand when it looks like you have a connection, but you really do not. And here's the reality that I think James is getting at, is it may look like you have this connection going on with God. You may have the church thing down. Alexa may notice play Lauren Daigle for you in the morning. You, you may repost that famous pastor's Instagram every once in a while. It may look like you got faith, but if your faith is not connected to action, if your faith is not connected to the heart of God, if it's not evidenced by works, it does not work. It simply does not work. You see, Jesus is after more than just a spotty connection with you. He's after your heart. He wants all of you. He wants you to be all in for him. He wants you to be all in for his kingdom. He wants you to be all in for meeting the needs of people, for serving the poor, for building his church, to give and to advance the kingdom. He wants you to be all in in your faith that works, that is carried out in action. <laughs> See, you may be here today and you may be wondering, oh my gosh, well, how do I know where I'm at in the midst of this? One question that you can just ask yourself on the regular is just to ask yourself this question, where is my faith not connected to action? What areas of your life do you see that faith is just an idea, but it's not lived out in actuality? See, if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, this is who we need to be. This is what we need to do. I love how Paul, he writes to Titus, one of the leaders of the early church. And, and I came across this the other day and I was like, oh my gosh. Because you're going to see a word that stands out if you've been a part of the Elevate City story. He says this, he says, this saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. See, part of our story is that we just went through a season a month or two ago where we went through a series, a collection of talks called Devoted. And we looked at the early church and the things that they were devoted to. And we met for church for 21 nights in a row because we're that crazy. We're that kind of people, that kind of church. And, and we talked about the things that the early church was devoted to. And he says this, that we should be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Why? Because they're excellent and profitable for people that there is a blessing that we see God move when we are obedient. If we want to be a movement of people that makes much of Jesus, we got to be devoted to the things the early church was devoted to. And they were devoted to this. They were devoted to bringing people to come to know Jesus by the way that we live because we're so attractive. We're not dead animals that you're walking through at Bass Pro, but we are living people, making our faith live out in our day-to-day -day lives. See, so many of us, we're just wondering, why, I, why am I not seeing a move of God in my life? Why is God not working through me? Why am I not seeing him bring things to fruition? But could it be that we are not devoted to good works? Because it's in good works that God works. He works. So what do we do if you're here and you call yourself a Christian? The first is this, that we need to be a people that live out of faith that works. Live out of faith that works. Remember, faith and works. So we need to never stop fame, fanning into flame our faith. We need to be a people who are constant in prayer, consistent in the word, and are committed to the church. We need to be a people that abide in Jesus. Jesus says, you abide in me and you'll bear fruit. We need to be in step with the Spirit. It's through the Spirit that we see the fruit of the Spirit. I got a challenge for us. I want you to write this down. This week, I want you to do something for someone 
who can do nothing for you. I want us to be a church that takes action. And so this week, man, think of, I want you to do something for someone who can do nothing for you. That's living out this word. Three ideas, three things that you can be a part of. Man, like Joey talked about, we're going to, on July 25th, we're going to move church from the Marriott into our city, into our communities. We're going to take church on the move, and we're going to go and serve people and care for people. If, if that is not on your calendar, it needs to be. That's a way for us to be people that say, hey, you know what, we're going to roll our sleeves up, and we are going to get into the mess of people's lives, and we're going to serve our city. Another idea is to pack a backpack for Sandy Springs that may seem like something small, but there are families who are in need and what a way for us to bless people and point them to the generosity of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, than to give a backpack to a kid who otherwise wouldn't have it. One idea this has been weighing on my heart, man, when you get off at exits here, whether it's 400, 285, you see homeless people all the time on the side of the road asking for money, asking for help. And what if we were known as a church that always had care packages in our cars, who always said, hey, you know what, I'm not just going to look down at my phone. I'm not just going to turn away because we've all done it. I'm not just going to pretend like I don't have any cash, but I'm actually going to have a care package in the car with a letter and a prayer for that person. And I'm going to give them some resources and some help and some materials and some gifts that can help them in their journey. And so you may be here today and you're like, okay, well, how do I get a part of that um, you can text serve to our phone number, 575-448-8688. It's not on the screen, but it will be on the screen later. And you just text serve, and you'll get a list of all of these resources. What do you need to put in a backpack? What do you need to have for a care package? We want to be able to give that to you today. See, we need to be people that find consistent serving opportunities and that we do, we live out our faith regularly. We need to be a people that are marked by praying for people, asking our server how we can pray for them. That's a way that we carry out our faith to serve a neighbor that's in need, to share the gospel with someone that we know is in need of Jesus, to make disciples, to be a disciple who makes disciples, who carries this out. This is all just some ideas. This is the kind of people we need to be. See, the gift of working is that God gives you more faith to keep working. That as we live out our faith, somehow our faith also grows. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you come back and you're like, I'm ready to take on the world. My view of God is massive now. I see him as so much greater and so much bigger. Why? Because as we work, God gives us more faith. So what if we start to ask ourselves, is my faith working? Is my faith doing good? See, apart from all of this, we're going to miss out on witnessing the power of God in action in our lives. Like if we don't have a faith that works, we're going to miss out. See, Abraham, what his faith worked and he got to keep his son. He got to become the father of many nations. Rahab, she went from a harlot to being written into the story of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. So you never know what you might miss if you do not live your faith out. You can miss stories. You can miss breakthrough. You can miss God open up the doors to finally uh, rescue that person, to finally work that miracle. You can miss the opportunity of God changing your heart as you love somebody else. And we'll miss what it does for our soul. And in the midst of all this, we need to remember we're not working for God's approval. We're working from God's approval, that he is for us, that he has given us this great freedom to know that we are working from his approval. So the invitation is open for the follower and the invitation is open for someone, if you're here today and you've never made a decision to believe. Romans 10, 9, this is where we'll land. 
Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Check this out. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Action. He's not after what you can do for him first. He's after your heart because he knows that you need him more than anything else in this world. And so if you're here and you do not yet know Jesus, I want you to hear that we believe that Jesus is your only hope. He is your only hope to be justified. He's your only hope of salvation. He's your only hope for heaven. And he's calling you home today. The invitation is open. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful God, that you took action. Jesus, that you proved your love by taking a cross that you didn't deserve so that we could be called sons and daughters of the king of the universe. God, we're grateful that you proved how much you love us, that you demonstrated your love for us. God, that you did not sit back, but you came down for us. May we be a people, God, that are marked by this radical just generosity with the way that we live, this radical obedience to your word, this radical commitment to live out our faith. God, we're so grateful for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if you're here today and you've never received the gift of salvation, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to make it very clear and give you an opportunity right now like we just read If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God, raise him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, I want to give you an opportunity. You can say, Jesus, I need you. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave. I'm committing to follow you as the Lord of my life. I believe who you are, that you are Lord. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, we want to give you a moment just to mark this moment, to take action, to say, I prayed that prayer. I've received Jesus today for the first time. So that's you. I want you to just, to, in just a moment, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise your hand as a statement marking this moment right now. One, two, Three, if that's you and you just prayed the prayer for the first time, you can raise your hand in this room. Raise your hand high saying, I prayed that prayer. I'm trusting in Jesus. Amen. Amen. God, we're so grateful for your love. and We're so grateful for your grace. And we're so grateful that you save us. May we be a church, God, that is forever marked by the way that we live that is obedient to the word, that carries out the word and has a faith that works. Jesus, we love you and we pray all of these things in your powerful name, amen.